As we come to our passage this morning in uh, John chapter 20, I want to begin with something that is so, so familiar to us by way of theology, I know, but I would like you to turn in your Bibles, please, as we begin this morning, first of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. As we go through life, who are you? Who am I? You know what? We're not really anybody significant in the eyes of the world. And we know that theologically. But who does God want to use? I want to remind us of the text this morning before we even get into talking about Thomas. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you know what I'm going to read, beginning in verse 26. It says, consider your calling, brethren. That is you and I who have trusted in Christ. That there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble. When we think of the call, when we're going to talk about Thomas, who does God use? I want you to be encouraged by this. God uses ordinary people. God is not looking for somebody necessarily of high intelligence, of great education, of position in society, of nobility, of genealogies, of finances. And oftentimes, if we're honest, as a Christian and we're going through life and facing circumstances, we think the only ones that God is going to use is if some way I have this great position or whatever. It is not true. God wants to use the nobodies of this world. And he will use the nobodies of this world if we let him. And he says here in this text, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Now that's not too encouraging to us in one sense, but sometimes as we're going through life, we think we're just ordinary people. What can God do through me? And we'll see in relationship to Thomas, I hope this morning, mighty things through those who really aren't known for much. But he says that the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the, shame the things that are strong and the base things of this world and the despised God has chosen. Those are the ones that God chooses. Nobody's. Why? Well, he goes on. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. There isn't a one of us that can boast. And yet God chooses to use us. But by, do, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is risen, written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God wants to use ordinary, if you will, nobodies, people who aren't significant. And while we understand that and hear that, isn't it true that sometimes as we're going through even the Christian walk, we wonder, how is God going to use me? What can he do with me? Stop browbeating yourself and just let God use you. That's what he wants to do. When we come to our text, now you can flip back there. What is this related to our text, Pastor Dan? Well, hopefully, without me explaining much more of that right now, you will see it as we go through the text this morning. 
As we come to our text in verses 24 to 29, we are dealing with Thomas. And you'll notice that I entitled the message, I didn't entitle it Doubting Thomas. That's how this guy is known, uh, especially because of our text. He is known by many. When you mention the name Thomas, Doubting Thomas. But for our purposes, as I studied the text, I think there's some lessons that we can learn from a very courageous pessimist. What? Yes. I think from a pessimist, we can learn something about his courageousness and just how God wants to use the nobodies and what he wants to do with us. I almost entitled it to let you know uh, to lessons from an optimistic pessimist. But then as I looked at my notes, I said, that isn't going to make sense to anybody, so we won't do that. All right, back to our text. When we think of Thomas, he's thought of as being doubting Thomas. He's thought of, if we're honest, as a weak person, a failure in many sense, uh, uh, senses of the word, almost even being one of the discredited apostles. Like he didn't have the strength of Peter or he didn't have the strength of one of the others, and he's thought of that way. And he's certainly not usually thought of, if we're honest, when we think of Thomas, we don't think of him as being one of the stronger or the better apostles to follow uh, because of our text. And I want to say to you right at the outset, that's simply not a fair picture, I think, of Thomas at all. Not at all. If we want to look for background to Thomas, that's rather interesting because we don't know a lot about him. He is an ordinary man. He is really a nobody in a sense and was used greatly by God. To put it very simply to us as we look to the scripture to learn about Thomas, we would find out that if we look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the book of Acts, because he's mentioned in all of those four books, we learn nothing about him. He's just simply listed as one of the apostles and nothing more. It's pretty hard to get a lot of information on him. We don't know anything about him from Matthew. We don't know anything about him from Luke. We don't know anything about him from Mark. And we don't learn anything from Dr. Luke later on when he writes the book of Acts. There just isn't a lot of information about him. So who is this guy? What is he like? What can we learn about him before we even get into our text? The one that we learn the most about him from is the one that we have been studying, and that is John's Gospel. In the first place, I'd like you to turn there, that we learn about this man, Thomas, is in John chapter 11, which was your responsive reading. So go back to John chapter 11 just for a moment. This morning, who is this guy, Thomas? Well, let me remind us that as you come to John 11, the Lord had been ministering in Jerusalem. That is John chapter 10, verse 22. If you look at the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking in the temple. So the Lord had been ministering there, and then we found him ministering beyond the Jordan in chapter 10, verse 40. It says he went away again beyond the Jordan, and... Uh, to the place where John had been baptizing. So the Jesus is ministering there, and many were following Christ. In fact, in, in that text, it's probably one of the most fruitful ministries that Christ had because it says many believed on him in verse 42 in that particular text. And then as you come to chapter 11, which I know you're familiar with, so I won't go into all the detail, 
But we find out that Lazarus got sick and the Lord delayed his coming to Lazarus and then he has this conversation with his disciples. And as he's having this conversation, they think that Lazarus is just sleeping and finally the Lord comes down to verses 14 and that's where we'll pick it up in verse 14 and he says simply plainly to them, he's dead. Lazarus is dead and then he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So that is the context, a very familiar situation with the resurrection. And this is the first thing that we learn when we come to Thomas. Thomas is mentioned in verse 16, so let's see what we can learn about him. It says in verse 16, Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go so that we may die with him. What do we see there? Well, we know first of all that he was a twin. Why? Because that's what Didymus means. He was a twin. Now, we don't even know whether he was a twin of a brother or a sister. We don't know. What does it matter? Not. We just simply know that he was one of the twins and he became known as that. We know that he was a disciple from the text. We know as we compare John with the other accounts, he's listed as an apostle. So he's an apostle, he was a twin, and what else? Nothing other than what we look at. What do you say? What do you mean, Pastor Dan? Well, let me take the negative side first. He is probably a pessimist. Why would I say that? Because he says, so that we may die with him. You know, that's the half glass that's full or the half glass that's emptied. And some might say, well, let's go with him and see what the Lord does because he's delivered and all we've seen all the miracles. That would be positive. The negative would be, let's go, we'll die too. In other words, let's go with him, but we're going to die. You know, and, and I think that if you look at Thomas, and we'll see that again today, that is a pessimistic view. And apparently he did have that. But is he someone that while he's a pessimist, is someone not to be followed? I don't think so. This man is a man with deep love for God. How do we know that? Look what he says in verse 16. He says to his fellow disciples, let us go so that we may die with him. He was willing to die. Let's go. He didn't turn around and take a lead and say, fine, you go. You want to risk your own life? Go ahead, you go. I'm staying back. Not at all. Thomas was loyal. Thomas was willing to die, and he had a great love for the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he had come to believe on. And he was willing to follow him. Pessimism in his life? Probably. But he was ready to go, and he was ready to die because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. The next time we learn about him is in John 14. Let's go to John 14. What happens in John 14? This is all to get us back to our text. In John 14, I think you're familiar with the story. This is, we studied this. This is a situation where the Lord was leaving and they were upset. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And that's where he talks about, I'm going to my Father and I'm preparing a place for you. So he's trying to encourage his disciples. And where does Thomas come in? Thomas comes in in verse 5. In verse 5 of this text, it says, Thomas said to him, 
Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how do you know the way? That is what led to the, one of the most famous verses quoted in Scripture. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus was leaving, and Thomas, who should have known, again, the pessimism comes through, we don't even know where you're going, and, and how can we know the way? But I want you to see deeper. While that's there, he was willing to go again. He wanted to know the way. He didn't connect some things, and even though the Lord had said, you do know the way, he's saying, I don't. He was willing to go. And he's basically begging the Lord, let me know the way so that we can go. Why? He had a great and deep love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to be with Christ. He was willing to die with Christ. He was willing to be whatever Christ wanted him to be, and he was loyal and true. And you know what? That's all we have on Thomas. That's it. You know as much as I know. Anything else you get from books is guesswork. All we know is he's a twin. All we know is he was willing to die. He was with the Lord. He's one of the apostles, and, when he's, and he's one of the disciples until we come to our text in John chapter 20. And there's no other biblical information that is given to us in Scripture. And what I say is he was willing and he was cautious, and that's what we should be. Be willing to believe but to be cautious. And that's verses 24 and 25. Here's this man who Thomas is, again, the twin, Didymus, and he was not with him. Why was he not with him? Well, we can conjecture all we want. The bottom line, as we studied last week, we know that the other disciples were in the room, and Thomas wasn't there, period. But Thomas has come back. He's come back. Jesus who was gone at the time, and Thomas came back, and he's now with the disciples, so he hasn't deserted them. He's still continuing on, and now he has heard these reports. What are the reports in verse 25? The other disciples were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. Now, you would think that right away Thomas would say, well, praise God, and that's wonderful. I'm glad that because Jesus Christ said that he was going to rise from the dead, and it's wonderful. No, you see some of the pessimism again, but I'm glad that it's there. He's cautious. These were people that he trusted. These were his friends. These were his colleagues. These were other apostles. And they had seen the risen Savior. And they're rejoicing. And you would think that he would say wonderful, but he doesn't. Was he willing? Yes. How do we know he was willing? Because... He will believe if he sees the evidence. He's willing and he wants to trust in this, but he's very cautious. He wants the real evidence of the risen Savior. Now, I want to make several comments about that. First of all, before you jump all over Thomas, he was no different from any of the other apostles, including Peter. What are you talking about, Pastor Dan? Remember this? Go with me to Luke 24. Just for a second, Luke 24. We looked at this. Luke 24, verses 9-11. to They returned from the tomb, and they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Verse 10, 
And they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also the other woman. We studied this text with them. We're telling of the thing, these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. They didn't believe it. What about in the Emmaus Road? Get down to verse 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter, then to enter into glory? And the answer is obviously yes. They didn't believe at first. So when you come to Thomas, why is he singled out? They all went through that experience of they wanted to see for themselves. And they hadn't seen. He's no different, and he's still there, even though he hadn't seen. So number one, he's not any different. Number two, what I want to give you is I am so glad that he was not quick to accept it. And I want to give a practical lesson here. Too many Christians are too quick to take anything that comes along. Now, I don't want to get too far from this text, but I wanted to mention this. And if anybody mentions the name of God or they mention the Bible or they mention any new thing that's come along, it is so easy for people to get caught up and confused. Let me tell you, you ought to want evidence. And our evidence is a little different. And I won't turn to the text, but I will tell you, in Acts chapter 17, that's where they wanted to receive the word, but they then searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. And today, with all the foolishness that's going on in the name of Christianity, we would be better off if we were willing to believe these things, but check it out with the scriptures. You won't go wrong. There's too many things that people are gullible with. But with Thomas, he wanted the real evidence. And there's a good part to being as a, as a Christian when you hear something to say, I want to see if it lines up with the word of God. In this particular case, back in our text, what he said is, I need to see the evidence for myself. Why? He wanted to make sure that it was really Jesus Christ. Now, how would he know that with the resurrected body, the nail prints would be there and the side would have the spear mark? I don't know. But somehow he realized that that is probably going to be the case. And certainly we do know this. For him, it would have been the confirmation for him that this was the real savior. Another thing that I will offer to you is Thomas had to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is when by this time Judas Iscariot is dead. And he's got to be replaced, and if you know the text, Matthias is going to be the one who replaces him. But I want you to catch just this, verses 21 and 22. In their selecting of the man to take the place of Judas, they said this, Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, now watch, here, clarification, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day he was taken up from us. That's the ascension in Acts chapter 1. 
One of these must become a witness with us, watch, of his resurrection. And so it was very important as Thomas went ahead as the apostle, and even when they're choosing another apostle, that they had to, as a power, part of the power behind their message, is to have firsthand evidence that, yes, I saw him alive. And that was part of what entered into the selection of Matthias, and it's part of what Thomas had not yet experienced. The other apostles and disciples had seen the risen Lord, so also as part of it, he needs to see them as well. So as he goes forth and preaches the message, not only could he say, I have heard that Jesus has been resurrected, but I have seen him. So we see, again, a willingness but a cautiousness. And I think if we look at Thomas, it's a good example for us. As Christians, we should be willing to believe. We should be willing to believe as we go to the word of God, as we see things happening, but check it out. So what does he ask? He asks to see the Lord. The next thing I want you to see back in our text in John chapter 20 is that he's patient and he's faithful, and we need to be faithful, uh, faithful and patient as well. Why? Verses 26 and 27. In verse 26, eight days, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Thomas didn't quit. He had not seen the resurrected Lord. He didn't leave Christianity. He didn't walk away from the things of God. Too many believers today, just to be very practical about it, that's what happens. There's no patience. Everybody wants to be a five-year Christian in one day. Everybody wants everything now. And if I can't have this way, I won't serve. If I can't have this way, I won't be involved in the body of Christ. And what happens is, honestly, and this is not just talking about church attendance, but sometimes people leave churches because things aren't going the way they want them. Thomas was left out. You think about that. All the other apostles have seen him, and they're saying they've seen him, and I haven't. Woe is me. I'm going home. I'm taking my ball, and I quit. That's not what he did. He kept serving. He kept meeting with them. He didn't know why he was left out. He didn't know why he hadn't received the other blessings of everybody else. But he remained faithful. And he was patient to wait upon God's timing to do what he was going to do. And so a week later, he's still with them. He didn't stop serving. He didn't stop meeting. And Jesus did not immediately answer his heart's desire. He was patient. He didn't go away. And as he's waiting, what happens? We look. Jesus comes back. Isn't it interesting? Same type of setup. Jesus comes, the doors having been shut. It's the same type of appearance. A miraculous, no matter what you do, whether the doors are locked, whether you thought he came through the doors, or whether you thought it was an appearance like I showed you in Acts last time, Without question, it's a miraculous appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this time, Thomas is with them. And what does he say? The same thing that he said to his other disciples. Remember last week? Peace be with you. Why? Let me remind you, I think we need it again. Who is it that can calm the storms of our life? Who is it that can settle our hearts? Who is it... It is such a tragic situation when people get into the death of a loved one, get into 
physical problems, get into financial situations or economic situations, and they have no one to turn to. And you see them falling apart. Where are they going to find peace? In the Lord Jesus Christ. And his, these disciples were worried. They were scared the first time. You remember, they were scared for their lives. And Jesus comes in and says, peace. Why? We saw last week, our peace is in him. And he does the same thing with Thomas. Thomas is unsettled. He doesn't know why he didn't see him, and he wants to see Jesus. Jesus comes in, he says the same thing. What is it that will settle the heart of Thomas? And again, his disciples, as they're meeting, it is Jesus Christ, who is our peace, and he calms the storm. And I want you to notice this. I personally believe it is full evidence of the deity of Christ, personally. Why? Nobody says anything to him. He is the one. He says to Thomas, Thomas didn't come over to him and say, I've been waiting to see you, and I, no, he says, Thomas, he knew everything about him. He knows everything about us. And is he coming over and saying, watch, watch the approach of the Lord Jesus Christ. You foolish disciple. You unbeliever. You failure as a believer. All the years I've been talking and teaching you, all the miracles, Thomas, and you couldn't believe without seeing. That's not the way he shepherds. He came over to compassionate heart. He knew what Thomas needed. He knew that Thomas loved him. He knew that Thomas was willing to die. And he comes over compassionately to Thomas and says, reach. Come here. Reach your fingers. Put it in my side. Put it in my hands. I want you to see. He was compassionate with him. And he comes over. He didn't need an explanation. He knew everything that was going on. And he simply says, stop your doubting. And that's again why some people say it's doubting Thomas. Stop your doubting as to whether it's really me, whether I did rise from the grave, and be believing. Believing what? It wasn't that Thomas didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, just like Peter had believed that, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But he had trouble right now with the resurrection and just being told about it and not seeing the resurrected Lord. And he says, yes, be believing, it's me. I'm the one that has come from back from the grave. And again, I think it's a lesson for us. It's a lesson on being patient. It's a lesson for us to follow and be cautious, yes, like we've learned already. But also, we need to be faithful and we need to be patient with the Lord. And that leads us to verses 28 and 29. Not only was he patient and faithful, but he was teachable, obviously, because when the Lord showed him who he was, he humbly believed. What's Thomas's reaction? Verses 28 and 29. My Lord and my God. Did he love the Lord? Yes. It's interesting because his reaction is stronger. It's almost reminiscent a little bit of Peter when he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You'd find that in Matthew 16. But unlike the others who just rejoiced, they did. We see an even stronger humility. We see a stronger teachableness. And Thomas is able to look. 
There's no indication. Now, maybe he did. We don't know. It's, it's guesswork on either side. Did he actually place his hand in his side? Did he actually place his hand in the nail prints? I don't know. There's no evidence that he did or did not. But just hearing the Lord and letting the Lord show him, it makes it obvious that he recognizes not only are you my Lord, but you're my God. And I, again, personally believe that the deity of Christ comes out clear as a bell here. He submitted. He calls him my God. And I want you to notice, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus Christ doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't turn around and say, don't call me God. Why? Because he is God. And our Savior is God, who took on flesh, who came to this world. And it is the resurrection that confirms the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. It is this resurrection that confirms that he is the Son of God, which, by the way, is equal with God. And the Jews understood it. But I want you to see it from Romans. Romans chapter 1, after the normal inter introduction, we pick it up in verse 3. I should end up saying verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's what I said right now. That's our test. That's our caution to go back and check the scriptures. Verse 3, concerning his son, who was born of the descendant of David according to the flesh, you see, God with us, God in the flesh, and watch verse 4, who was declared the son of God with power, how? By the resurrection from the dead. It is the result of the resurrection of the dead, if, excuse me, if you will. According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It was the resurrection. It was, if you will, the confirmation of God, that this truly is God, that this truly is the Messiah. And now the confirmation was before Thomas, and he turns around and bows down and recognizes him as God and believes. Pessimist? Yes, he was pessimistic. A doubter? Well, no more than anyone else, but a follower who was a nobody, who was simply known as a twin, who God picked and used the example of even his caution about trusting in Christ and used the example of a humble soul who was willing to bow down and recognize that, yes, the evidence is plain. The evidence is clear. This is the Messiah. Now, I just want to make a comment on verse 28 before I get to verse 29 in passing here because there is so much that is made today and so much bickering and fighting that's going on over the lordship salvation quote unquote and lordship concept as I prayed about this and have studied I, I thought through this text just to try to make it as simple as I can for you and let me tell you what the scriptures do teach. Number one, God is Lord over all creation. There isn't anything he hasn't created. There isn't anything that doesn't belong to him. He is Lord over all. Number two, he is Lord over salvation. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord, plain and simple. 
He's Lord. Too many today with easy believism have the concept that I can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and get a ticket to heaven and catch you later. That's not true salvation. He is Lord, plain and simple. And the day is going to come, according to Philippians, that every knee will bow and will confess, listen, that Jesus is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord, plain and simple. Now the debate goes on because of the concept of as a Christian, is he Lord of my life right now? He is Lord. The reality is, to make it simple for you, is according to Galatians chapter 5, as a believer we have a struggle with our flesh. And even as a believer, we yield to the spirit or we yield to the flesh. That is true. But Jesus Christ is Lord. And when a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not just believing on him simply to get forgiveness of sins and go their way. They are humbly bowing themselves just like Thomas is here and saying, my Lord and my God. Because if you don't come to Jesus Christ that way, you're not coming to him for anything else other than what can you give me rather than coming and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He is Lord. As a Christian, I do need to yield to the Spirit of God. It's true. But he's still Lord on my life. It's just a matter of whether I'm walking with God or not walking and having victory in my life. So back to John chapter 20 here. As we wind things down, he points out that this is God. We can learn from that. And be encouraged because the Lord Jesus Christ turns around to him 29 and says, Because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who did not see me and yet believe. And who is that? Have you seen the Lord? You say, oh yeah, I've seen him in the pages of scripture. Yeah, that's probably true. Have you seen him physically? Have you seen the physical resurrected Lord Jesus Christ? No. We are <clears throat> excuse me, blessed of God. <clears throat> we are the ones who are the happy. We are the ones that are getting God's favor who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And how are you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I offer you something as far as seeing the Lord physically? No. And you shouldn't be looking for some miracle. You shouldn't be looking for some 500-foot or 900-foot statue of Jesus or that type of thing to happen. You simply should be looking on the pages of Scripture, which God has given us now, to reveal, and that's next week's message, but look ahead. These things are written, verse 31, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And as these disciples went forth, and the apostles with the testimony, having seen the physical resurrected Lord, including Thomas, they could preach, and you'll find it in the book of Acts, not only all the scripture leading up to Christ, but he's risen. He's alive. We serve a risen Savior, and he's the only Savior of the world. And now people believe, having not seen that physical resurrection, on the word of the apostles, and the word is recorded in the word of God, and that is you and I. And faith is the essence of what draws a person to salvation. 
<clears throat> it is faith in what? In the revealed word of God. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to see two verses. <clears throat> Look at verses 8 and 9. Peter gets right to the point when he says, and though you have not seen him, though you have not seen him, who's he writing to? Look at verse 1. To those who reside as, you've heard me joke about this, right? Who are the real aliens? Look around you. It's not in the movie theaters. The real aliens, the ones who are scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. He's talking about believers that were scattered all over the place. That's who he's writing to. And you get down to verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen him. What? You love him. And that's you today, believer. You haven't seen him, but you love him. Though you do not see him now. Watch what he says. But believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome watch of your faith, Notice this, the salvation of your souls. We rejoice. Thankfully, Thomas even had those questions. Because that's in that statement and in that response to, to Thomas himself, the Lord includes us when he says, blessed are those who haven't seen Thomas. And yet, because of their faith, they are rejoicing with joy inexpressible because they have obtained salvation. Where? By putting their faith in the same one that Thomas bowed down to and said, my Lord and my God. Because if you trusted in Christ, that's what you've come to. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto him. And Father, I believe that. And I bow down and humbly trust in that. And we are the blessed. Turn with me to one other passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 <clears throat> and verse 7. Very simply put, Paul in writing, and there's a lot to be seen here, and it's actually talking about the judgment seat of Christ in the context, but I want you to catch this. For we walk how? By faith, not by sight. It is faith that gives us the victory. It is our faith in what has been revealed in the word of God. We haven't seen the Lord Jesus Christ. I haven't seen him. I stand before you today as a pastor preaching the word of God, believing with all my heart that Jesus is the Christ, believing with all my heart that he's resurrected from the dead. Why? Because I have the evidences of those who saw him, and I have the evidence of the word of God, and I have the assurance of the Holy Spirit that my faith has been placed in the right place, and I know who I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him unto the day that I meet him. And the same is true for you if you've trusted in Christ. We are blessed because we haven't seen him, but we've believed the message that's been given to us even by what was spoken of by Thomas in our text.
So the Lord appeared to Thomas as well. Another situation. Thomas the doubter? I say Thomas the pessimist, yes. Let's go. That We'll die also, I guess. I don't know the way. How can I know the way? All of that has led to some of the most significant things in our faith. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Lord, that I could just see his hands and his feet and place my... Thomas, come and see. Come and place my Lord and my God. Thomas, you've seen and believed. Blessed are the ones who haven't seen me. And yet they're believing. They're trusting. They're trusting in you. As Christians... If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to learn from Thomas, and we need to be willing to believe what God has said, but be cautious. Check it out by the word of God by application. Be patient and be faithful. That's what Thomas was. Even when he didn't have what others had, even when he didn't have the assurance that he would have liked to have had, he didn't quit. He kept meeting. He kept serving. He kept getting involved, and he patiently waited for God's timing. And he was teachable. So that when the Lord Jesus Christ came and said, look, he was able to be humbled. He was teachable and learned, and yes, it is you, Lord, and you're my God. Have your will in my life, and that's what Thomas wanted. He was willing to die with the Lord. He was willing to follow the Lord. And he was willing to humbly bow down right now. And whatever God had for him, he was ready. Thomas a failure? I don't think so. Thomas an example? I think so. Who was he? A twin. A nobody. An insignificant one that God chose to be an apostle. And he chose to use. And look at This man is being used in your life and my life right now. And God, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, God has chosen you as a nobody. Maybe you are a twin. Maybe you're not. But God has chosen you to be a light to others. Will you fail? Will you sometime have some pessimism in your life? Yeah, you're looking at the chief right here. But God still uses the likes of you and me so that he will get the glory and others will hear the glorious message of salvation and come to Christ and believe that he is the Messiah. If you're here without Christ, that's our heart's desire. Lord willing, next week we'll deal with just those two verses. What is it going to take to open your eyes to see that Jesus is the Christ? Everything that we have studied to date. You ready for this? All 130 messages. All of that has been to help you to come to the place that you will trust in the same Savior that Thomas did and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Without that, you have no hope, you have no forgiveness of sins, and you really have no peace with God. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for Thomas. Thank you for this faithful man. Weak, yes, but no weaker than we are. Use greatly, absolutely. With a bunch of credentials, none that we can see. But Father, you chose to shed your blessing on him.
chose to use him greatly. And Father, we can learn so much for him, from him and help us to be those that are believers willing to follow, to be patient, not to quit, to be teachable, and to be humble. And Father, might you continue to work in our lives and help us to stop being unbelieving in certain areas of our lives and believing you in all areas and following you with faithfulness. For those who haven't come to trust in Christ, I pray that while they haven't seen you and won't see you right now physically until you return, help them through the pages of scripture to see you and having not seen you physically, to see you with their spiritual eyes and come to believe that they might be the blessed as well and part of the family of God. We pray these things and ask in Jesus' name, amen.